This is Transistor.fm. Hey everyone, welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the behind the scenes story of building a web app in 2020. I'm John Buda, a software engineer. And I'm Justin Jackson. I do product and marketing. Follow along as we build Transistor.fm. I, every time you make it, we make it through that now without laughing. I, I, like, I always have a little bit of like giggle in the back of my mind. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Uh, I didn't mention it before because I was like, oh, we we would just yeah. descend into that again. That was the perfect storm of weird mindset and something funny. <laughs> I heard from some people that that enjoyed that. They thought that was fun that we just couldn't get it, get through it and. You can't help but laugh when other people are laughing. Yeah. Good. Uh, um, so I can't just start off. I I, I had a, a Canadian holiday yesterday I didn't tell you about. Yeah. <laughs> one, one of, I don't know, 50? Do I think you've, to this point, it's like half a year is a holiday for you. I was like, because so yesterday was Victoria Day, which is where we, what is, what, what did Chris say it was? It's where we celebrate Queen Victoria. Um, yeah, and I don't even know if they do this in England. This is just a this is just Canadians making up reasons not to work, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but I was, you know, I I woke up and I was like, oh, it's a holiday today, and the kids, you know, didn't have any school work or anything, and so I was answering support tickets, but I was immediately in holiday mode, and didn't even think to tell you or anybody else that I was not really. Yeah. <laughs> gonna be around and then like in the afternoon i logged into i i was like had time and i i went into slack and you're like hello are you there what's going on it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay i'm so sorry if 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 i ever don't show up for work either something terrible has happened or it's just a canadian or, holiday or it's holiday <laughs> all right 50-50 chance. Chris said, yeah, is the celebrate the birth of the queen and consider the beginning of summer. Mm-hmm. And then he said, if you guys wouldn't have fought the British, you could have had more holidays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Canada's, I heard on a podcast the other day that Canada is, an, oh, it was Mike Myers. He was talking to Conan and he was saying, uh, Canada is an interesting country because we were born without a mission. We, we were basically born without a purpose. Like the, you know, the British kind of were here and we are, we are neither British nor French nor American, but we are strongly influenced by all three. And I thought that was such a, a interesting way to put it. Because Conan was saying, why do so many funny people come from Canada? Jim Carrey, John Candy, Mike Myers. And he was like, you know, I think it's because, you know, we were born without a mission where we have influences from the British, the French and Americans, but uh, we're, we're a country of observers. So we're always observing, you Mm. know, what's going on in the States, what's going on in England. And we're kind of able to make these observations about 
you know, these other dominant cultures and then... And then build a society that's better than yeah, that. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe we're just able to go, okay, like we're going to take a little bit from the French. We're going to take a little bit from, you know, the, the Brits. We're going to take a little bit from the United States and we'll mix it all together. And then you have, you know... And then you have... Um, poutine. I was just going to say that, yeah. <laughs> Pour a little gravy on top and you have Canada. <laughs> Voici les frites gravy. I will say poutine is pretty good. Yeah. If you can get if you can get if you can find a good one, it's pretty good stuff. Uh, so John, <laughs> uh besides there being a Canadian holiday, on was it Tuesday or Wednesday, big, big release for a transistor. Uh Wednesday. Wednesday. we it was a week later than we had, I think, initially said from a previous episode pretty good though but not bad it's always that last you know few percent of a release of the hardest to get done yeah um yeah we released our new reworked dashboard a little bit of a reorganization redesign um i think we actually undersold it i think once once you showed me everything that was on staging, I just felt like, wow, this is feels like a major release. It actually feels like so much is new here. Yeah, I mean, it no, almost nothing is new on the back end. Mm-hmm. But it is a hundred percent new on the front. Like it is completely redone. Most of the HTML, all the JavaScript, all the CSS is just brand new. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I probably underestimated <laughs> <laughs> how much work that would be. Uh, but. I mean, this is really, I mean, you talk about refactoring UI, which is the book yeah. by Adam and Steve. Um, this was refactoring UI. And the yeah. gains that we got partly because I think you were able to go through every single page and sometimes just rework how things were working on the page and the interactions on the page. And yeah. so when we released it, I mean, I, I was, you showed me the final kind of version on staging and it just, it really got me excited. Like, I don't think I've been this excited for a long time about something we've released with Transistor yeah. And, yeah, it was a big, it was a huge change. And and it just felt like we need to tell the world about this. I, I ended up doing this big press release and sent it to some outlets. And, you know, it just felt yeah. like this is, a, this is a, a big change and feels good to have it out. And it, especially interesting because we were in that slog for so long of, you know, working on it. So to have it out in the world and for it to actually, for all that potential to finally be realized. Yeah. Did it feel good for you too? It did. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always a little bittersweet for me. Cause like, I think we've talked about this before where the, the process and the building is the part that's enjoyable and then you get it out and it's like, it's a relief, but then I don't know. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. It's probably a combination of stuff. It's a relief. It feels good, but I know there's this inevitable long tail of fixes and people saying that, like, this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I have a hard time going into like marketing mode. I mean, I know you like you went and pushed it and like went and marketed mm-hmm. and did a great job of that. But like get it, getting all this feedback, even though it was positive, was like it's not. I don't really know what to do with that. Yeah. So you don't even like hearing like all the people that liked it. No, I do. It just takes me like a while for it to settle in. Interesting. It's a because like it it it. I don't know. It almost sets this expectation that I I I think it's it's just like the constant imposter syndrome where like I know people like it, mm-hmm. but it always feels like it's not enough. It's it's just weird. I can't wrap my head around it all the time. I should probably think about that more and figure out what's what's up with that. Yeah. But. So I I mean, is it just like an anxiety of okay, I've, I'm finally putting this thing out into the world that I've worked on. And now people can have an opinion about it. Yeah, probably. Okay. It's probably some that. I also start thinking about like the next thing mm. that I want to, you know, because this is, this will definitely help us build some things a little faster mm-hmm. because we're not sort of hamstrung by these, you know, other libraries that we used before yeah. and, um, you know, design systems and stuff. But, I sort of immediately like move on to the next thing without really uh, maybe celebrating is the right mm-hmm. word celebrating the, the, what we what we put out yeah um, and that you know part of that too is this and most of most of the responses I think were great by by far the majority were were great mm-hmm. uh, but there's there's always these other customers that will come back and say hey this is great but like. What's what's the timeline on this one thing <laughs> that that we haven't released yet? Yeah, and it's just like this flood of of new things that yeah we sort of have to like categorize and and say either no to or you know we thought about that or we're going to work on it later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I I totally get both sides. I get your your feeling of I mean, it was a lot of work, and when you work on something for a long time. I think there is, um, yeah, kind of this low-level anxiety about, like, how are people going to react? And sometimes any reaction is just overwhelming emotionally. Yeah. It's like, I just don't want to hear any input, good or bad. I just need to, like, rest. It's like it's like finishing a marathon and immediately someone sticks a microphone in your face and goes, so tell me what was the experience like? And, and yeah. you're like, uh, can you just like give me a second to go have a shit and like eat a Mars bar? Uh, yeah. <laughs> How did you feel? How, how do you feel now? Uh, terrible. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can, I can get that. And maybe that's something we can work into our cadence uh, is, you know, you know and Basecamp kind of has this, like they'll do a major release and then they'll have that cool down cycle I wonder if yeah. if we even need to have a version of that that is, you know, works better for us, which is, um, you know, once you get done working on something this big, for you to just even just step out for a while, just be like, okay, I'm not, yeah. I'm not taking any Slack messages or Justin, I don't want to hear about anything really like contact me if yeah. something's really broken, but otherwise just, yeah, it's. It's possible. I mean, this, I think this was an exception though to how we worked. Mm -hmm. Like this was just, yeah, took forever just because of a combination of, you know, everything that's been happening this year. Yeah, totally. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think the rollout went well. There's a, there's a couple hiccups. Yeah. Can we tell people um, about our, because I think this will be, <laughs> we we had this question of like, we knew, we knew it would probably not work in IE 11. Like, and our yeah. QA was, I tested it on Safari Mobile and Chrome Mobile, and I tested it on Mac Chrome, Mac Firefox, and Mac Safari. And you did as well, but we didn't test it on any PCs. Nope. And we, we did not <laughs> test it in Edge or anything. And you were like asking me about it, and I was just kind of like, damn the torpedoes, let's just do it. Yeah, well... <sighs> I think we we kind of rolled the dice and and saw that very few people used Edge mm-hmm. or IE11. Um, I mean IE11 is just so old. We could probably make it work. I don't know if we should or if it's worth the time. Edge is another. Edge is a weird beast on PCs because there is Microsoft Edge up to like version eighteen. Which is completely different than the new Microsoft Edge. Oh, oh, really? Okay. But it's an entirely different rendering engine and everything. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how this still works. But if you install Windows 10 from scratch, I think it still installs Microsoft Edge 18. I don't know. But then there's a new one that's built on Chrome. Okay. And so that actually is essentially the same thing as Google Chrome. It uses the same engine, it's the same version number almost. Interesting. And it's updated and it's updated constantly. So you can download that. They actually have a version for Mac, which I just found oh, out. Oh, okay. And that one is great. That works perfectly fine. But Edge 18 is mostly fine, except it doesn't support some modern JavaScript functions that I used, which are replaceable with other ones. Uh, I just didn't know that. So I think I fixed everything in, in Edge 18 and it works fine. There's still a little like visual wonkiness with some of the CSS, but um, I might have to talk to Adam about that mm-hmm. actually with tail, Tailwind and just like see if he notices these things or if he even cares about it. Well, Edge. I know he cares about, My, like he asked me before he launched if he, if he, if I thought he should care about IE 11 support. And I told him no. Because I said, yeah, you can always add it later if you absolutely need to. I gave him the same advice that I gave, I gave us, which was, let's just launch, and if we get a ton of people saying it's broken in IE eleven, then we should roll out some kind of fix and invest yeah. in it. But what you know, our response so far has been people have contacted us say, oh, it doesn't work in IE eleven. My response has been, I've got these like internal Microsoft documents that say, you know, we're not supporting IE 11 anymore. And they recommend people to switch to the latest version of Edge. And so I send that to folks. And then I say, I ask them if they've got another browser they can use. And surprisingly, almost all of them have said, oh yeah, I I have Chrome as well. I'm like, oh, well, just use (laughs) Chrome. Um, Yeah, it's a weird, I don't, we haven't done a very, we haven't done a survey of these people, but like I know there's certain corporations that not that people are working in an office right now, but like there's certain corporations, right, that that control your computer and don't allow you to upgrade mm-hmm. um or install software on your own. Yeah. But like, you know, from a 
from the dashboard perspective, I don't think it matters too much if we don't support IE11, even older versions of Edge. But like where I kind of end up feeling a little bad is that our embeddable audio player doesn't work in IE11. And like we can't really control who's seeing that embeddable player. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas with the dashboard, we might have a customer reaching out and say, hey, I can't upload an episode. And we're like, hey, just use another browser. But like if someone's listening on the web, uh, we, you know, we don't have control over that and they're not going to contact us. Yeah. So that the, the embeddable player, we can certainly make work with IE11. Um, it's just a matter of um, updating some of our JavaScript. Like technically, there's no reason, you know, the audio won't play or anything like that. CSS won't work fine. It's just, Mostly that I'm using uh, Vue.js with the embeddable player, and we'd have to compile the JavaScript down to something that works with IE11. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's just a, a couple of days of work of making sure that works fine. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky, it is a tricky balance for sure. Yeah, but but it, it's, it's, I mean, it's what, the year 2020 and we're still like, feature flagging based on the browser you're using. It's just weird. It's just like, what year is I, this? And we're like, we have a story that we're talking about like, maybe we should have a pop-up warning in the dashboard that says if you're using IE11, you should upgrade your browser. And like, that used to happen when people were using like Netscape 4. I know. I honestly just want to send Bill Gates a bill <laughs> just to say, like, look at all the additional work you've caused developers around the world like how much gdp has been lost uh, well actually it's probably yeah. gdp created how much gdp has been created <laughs> right because if people have to spend all these extra cycles fixing yeah IE, it's just well it's, <clears throat> yeah it's good to see microsoft embracing open source now yeah though. like they're they're using you know the, whatever chromium is the browser engine that it's based yeah. on now and like that's open source and um yeah the, so the new microsoft good, is definitely but, um interesting in terms of open source yeah. and you know what they're doing that that's out folks can see it i was super excited about it i shared it everywhere um it's also i think if there are i think yeah. a good recommendation for folks is to share uh well there's a few things here one having a business partner is helpful in this regard because all of those insecurities you were feeling or those feelings you were feeling, I wasn't feeling those. I was able to look at what you had produced objectively and get excited about it and take it and go, look at what we've done. Like, this is incredible. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. Launch day was like, we were two different people. Yeah. (laughs) You were like super gung-ho and excited. I was like, (laughs) yeah. And I don't know why. Like, I exactly. Should. But maybe we need more of a passing the torch kind of thing. Like, it's a relay. Like, you, you, it's like I hit the deploy button and then just go hide in the closet yeah, for. Yeah, you just go hide in the closet with some <laughs> pudding. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to introduce a brand new segment to the show called "Free Ads for Bootstrappers." This is something Jane Portman started over at user list and today i want to tell you about scraping b scraping b.com it's a web scraping api that takes care of proxies and headless browsing for you so you'll never get blocked again while scraping companies like sap and zapier use them so they got they got both sides of the market you know that big enterprise and zapier you can trust them to go to scrapingb.com that's kind of a cool thing. 
Uh, let's talk about this quick. I listened to this interview with, uh, is it Tobias Lutke? Tobias? Uh, I think so. Tobias Lutke? Good, uh, good, uh, well, he's German, but now he's Canadian. Uh, the founder of Shopify. Uh, he had an uh, interview with Guy Raz on how I built this. And I think as a founder, I found it encouraging. Did, did you give it a listen? I did, yeah. And uh, yeah, what, what did it hit you the same way as it hit me? Because part of me was, you know, I'm still, I think, thinking about these questions of mission and vision and purpose and, you know, what's going to drive us. And I just found his thinking on that quite kind of refreshing. I'm not uh, sure if it hit you the yeah, same way. I, I mean, it, I related to it. I don't know if it hit me quite as hard as it hit mm-hmm. you. Um, it, when I listen to that, I, he, they're in such a different place, Mm -hmm. I think, and their impact on the economy and small businesses is so massive right now. Yeah. And their ability to help out these small businesses, you know, set up an online store to help sell stuff online when nobody can come into the, to the store is just like their ability to, to to actually push change forward is just incredible. And like, I think we can relate to that a little bit, but we're much smaller and we're, you know, our focus is like, yeah, we can help, you know, small businesses and small groups get the word out to their customers, their friends or, um, you know, we keep people in touch, I suppose, to a certain degree. It cer- Certainly, part of it is the way you decide to, uh, you know, what perspective you decide to have, because you could be cynical about e-commerce as well. You could say, oh, well, e-commerce, what, that's just, you know, that's just perpetuating the capitalist machine. And what good is that? You're just, you know, you're en- enabling all these direct-to-consumer brands that are just going to be producing garbage. Like, there's all sorts of ways to look at it. But I think uh, in the the, the the positive way he's looking at it, I think, is valid in that he's saying, you know, we've seen people enabled by the platform, and there's, there's a lot of people doing a lot of good with the platform. And Uh, I think it's similar for podcasting, you know, like there's some people misusing the platform. There's some people not producing very good shows, but on the other hand, there's like people using transistor that are creating incredible shows that are also having a meaningful impact on their lives as hosts and on their listeners lives. Yeah. So I thought there was some, there was a little bit of crossover there between us and them, even though they're like, they they serve a million customers and we serve, you know, in the thousands. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it was interesting talk, hearing him talk about kind of adapting to the change and sort of having to kind of look into the future almost and build software differently immediately. Yeah. It's just, um, I mean, it just, how do we, how do we make this as easy as possible for current physical stores to sign up for a shop? How do we, how do we build tools that allow for like curbside pickup and delivery and stuff like that? And we've, I've, you know, locally in Chicago, there's been some of that too with a company called Talk. Okay. Um, which it's a international 
service, but it's for restaurants, right? And they they do like reservation. It's a reservation and payment system for high end restaurants. Okay, yeah. But they they like in a week they completely change their platform to to update um, and work with like curbside pickup and just all these additional features to allow restaurants to like keep up with demand and stuff like that. And oh, this is cool. I haven't seen this yet. Yeah, it's uh, it was started co-founded with one of the guys that um, co-owns uh, Alinea, which is in Chicago, which is one of the best restaurants in the world. Oh, cool. Um, so they started it for that because like there's just, yeah, it, it it's cool. It's, you know, just those systems that adapt that way. Um, yeah. And can actually have a massive positive change. Well, that was the, I think that was my biggest takeaway. And I think it'd be interesting for our listeners is that they were thinking, okay, you know, curbside pickup and delivery, that's going to be something that's important in 2030. And so they had already kind of thought that far ahead. And then when the pandemic hit, they did a meeting and the meeting was, okay, all that stuff we thought wouldn't hit scale until 2030, that's been accelerated by 10 years. So now it needs to happen now in 2020. And I found that perspective so interesting. One, because they were clearly thinking ahead and and looking at the trajectory of the of their sector and going, where is this leading? And just guessing still, but going, what are the touchstones we can see that might be applicable in 2030 if this trend continues? And then right. when the pandemic hit, they just extrapolated and they said, oh, wait a second, all that stuff we thought was going to happen is happening now. The landscape changed really quickly. And yeah. I think for for me, that immediately made me think, okay, like what is the, because it's even just an, an interesting exercise competitively, which is sometimes we're so stuck in the, in the, now and we're just thinking like okay well we're just gotta you know build for what people want now it's an interesting idea to think yeah but what does podcasting look like 10 years in the future and how could we incorporate (laughs) some of that now and as an example i i don't think it's like it's not like all of a sudden like it's going to change radically all that that could happen it's most likely going to continue to follow seeds of change that have been planted already. And so like I can imagine private podcasting for example being built into a lot more apps so that it's just there there's more of a a built-in nature for it as opposed to some of these other hacks we're doing right now. Um mm-hmm. certainly podcast uh, platforms like Spotify are going to try to own it themselves and just do private podcasts that only work on Spotify. Um I think that'll be a thing as well. We're already seeing that. We know they're testing that internally. Like Spotify has their own internal company podcast. Uh, I think the the creator economy is really heating up and accelerating. Like platforms like Substack and Patreon and Podia and Gumroad are all Mm -hmm. accelerating. And Shopify, they're a good example as well. Because more and more people are realizing they want to build resilience into their lives. And uh, as someone who's personally benefited from that, like when we were building Transistor, the income I was getting from this private community I run called Megamaker 
that if I didn't have that, I would have not been able to do Transistor. And so I can see that accelerating. I think there's going to be more people like me who, and like journalists, former journalists, former authors, or sorry, not former authors, but authors, radio personalities, you know, broadcasters. These are all going to be people that are looking for new ways of living and doing work. And I can mm-hmm. see, you know, Substack and platforms like that accelerating. And so it made it makes me think for Transistor, you know, maybe it means we do have to step outside of pure podcasting and we need to we might eventually need to incorporate other elements. Maybe, you know, we there, there's just all sorts of ways you can go. You know, Shopify as, as an example was sort of already working on some of this yes. stuff. I don't but you know, it could have been any world event that changed anything. It could have been something that they weren't even thinking about, right? Like, obviously, they weren't thinking about we need curbside pickup because of a pandemic. Yes. Oh, I, I really um, so want to talk for, about this. Okay, keep going. For us, like, for us, I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to be, we're in a different position because we're not dealing with physical goods. But, you know, it could be something like Google comes out and offers free podcast hosting for everyone, Right. So like, what do we do? And what do we do in that situation? Because that would probably a bunch of people would leave us. They might would they though come back? They might not. Don't we I don't know. Have it this depends. Problem with Spotify? Yeah, that's true. We've had people come back and leave and come back. We've had people go to Anchor and then come back. We yeah. actually, I think, um, by in terms of imports, Anchor is our number one imported. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think it, it is good to ask those questions too. Like, what are the possible threats for sure? Um, but something else you said, I just want to go back to. You said obviously they were already working on this and they couldn't have predicted it. I was listening to the Sam Harris episode with, um, he was interviewing Jonathan Haidt, I think. And he said they were talking about luck. And I disagreed with them because, there, there was people, he was basically saying, you know, some of these companies that have done well, they could have never predicted that this was going to happen, right? Like the, the companies that were already working on stuff before the pandemic hit, like how would they have ever known? And, yeah. and, uh, and also he was saying, you know, like the restaurant industry has been affected by kind of just dumb luck. Like they, it, it's not their fault that, you know, that they've been affected so poorly, I mean, so greatly, but we've always known the restaurant business was hard and was extremely exposed to <laughs> like recessions to like the restaurant business yeah. has always been operating on the, on a razor's edge. And so it's not that surprising that some sort of world event pushed it over the edge. We've known for a long time that it's a difficult business with very low margins and an incredible amount of complexity. And so I disagree with this idea that we can't know beforehand. If you were in a restaurant before this, we've, we've seen how many restaurants just had no savings and no backup plan. Yeah. And that, 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 that that's not dumb luck that they've now gone out of business. That was maybe a characteristic of that sector and I'm not saying it's good or bad. I mean, it, 
I, I would love to see restaurants succeed and I'm doing everything I can to help some of my friends with restaurants succeed. But it, you know, the folks that have done well, like my buddy at Ratio Coffee, they already had takeout and like takeout as a part of their model. They already had a website. They already had an online store. I'm I'm not saying I don't feel bad, but the writing was on the wall. Like if you were a restaurant and you didn't have a website, you didn't have a way to order online, you didn't have a way to do pickup, and you weren't exploring ideas around delivery, you know, like certainly pizza places and, and Chinese places have done better because they both did takeout and delivery before this. And so I think building in resilience you can do that before something happens. And also the these natural kind of trends that are that are picking up steam right now, they they generally get accelerated by world events. Like to me, remote work was an inevitability and it was just a matter of time. Yeah. It would have yeah, it would have gotten there. It definitely it definitely accelerated it. I mean, I've had a number of conversations with friends that are like, This is I actually prefer this. Mm-hmm. This is great. Yep. <laughs> Like, and but and the right we we could have seen that by observation. Talking to how many people hated their commute, like if if that many people at home just are are feeling. This is what I mean when you. It, this is what it is to observe a trend, is noticing something that many people feel but has not yet been fully articulated. It's not fully yet like revealed, and so you're just observing people and your own feelings. So for me, driving to work every day, I was like, I fucking hate this. Like, I just hate being in the Mm -hmm. car for an hour into the city and then finding parking and then coming home and being tired and exhausted and grumpy. I hate this. And then noticing how many other people felt that way. It It wasn't hard. There's so many angry people on the road. Like, you get middle fingers, you get people, you can tell people are stressed out and they're not enjoying it. And so, uh, and you could tell like property values around downtown were quite high because people wanted to live close to where they worked, right? Uh It's not surprising to me that a more flexible way of working is the desired, if, if that's what secretly, what millions of people are desiring, as soon as that opportunity presents itself, and we can see, observe, like before coronavirus hit, like Buffer would put out a remote work position and would immediately get 750 applicants. It's because people want <laughs> yeah. it. You can see yeah. the, this innate desire. The big lesson for me from this this pandemic is not so much that it's it's dumb luck that some industries have fared better and others have not. It's like we already knew that e-commerce was going to be the growing dominant trend. That wasn't that wasn't news to anybody. It got accelerated, but these kind of world events generally accelerate existing trends that are already going up. They don't um it's I, I, I can't think of an example where a trend got ex, a trend that was not already accelerating got accelerated. Like Slack was already on the upswing Zoom was already on the upswing. Uh, bicycles, like tons of people were buying bicycles, but bicycles were already on the upswing mm-hmm. before this. In it, It's not like all of a sudden, like no one had even thought about getting a bicycle. And, you know, like <laughs> people 
interest in bikes had already increased. You and I both bought new bikes in the last 12 months. That might be personally the biggest expense you and I have either of us have spent in the last 12 months. As far as restaurants too, I, maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, the, the trend was actually moving towards in a couple of years, like a lot of restaurants would have closed anyway. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's always been a tough market. You know, there's a lot of new restaurants opening and closing in Chicago all mm-hmm. the time. And I, maybe what comes out of this is that, you know, there's obviously different business models, but maybe, you know, food is more expensive at restaurants because, they need to make a profit. They need to pay their employees a living wage. And mm-hmm. like maybe that's this is the catalyst for that change, which is unfortunate because if food's more expensive, less people are going to maybe go mm-hmm. out, less people have access to it. But like, if it's not a sustainable business model, then something probably has to yeah. change. Yeah, and I mean, the other trend that was accelerated was, you know, this whole Postmates, DoorDash idea of getting food um, to your door. Now, I don't like the, <laughs> you and I were talking about like those business models. It is ridiculous. There's that great piece on Substack. Oh, I got to find it. You probably read it. I'll put it in the show notes. DoorDash and Pizza Arbitrage. Did you read this? I did, yeah. Yeah. So I'll put it in the show notes. But if capitalism is driven by a search for profit, I'm quoting here, the food delivery business confused the hell out of me. Every platform loses money. Restaurants feel like they're getting screwed. Delivery drivers are poster children for gig economy problems, and customers get annoyed by delivery fees. Okay, folks, it, it, <laughs> if, if this is the <laughs> predominant trend, you can see where, where it will inevitably lead to a certain extent. You know at the very least it's unstable, and so something's got to change, right? And, right. yeah, I think for restaurants, uh, there's going to be more cloud restaurants where it's just all delivery. There's going to be more Portland style restaurants where you have a a neighborhood restaurant that probably has a lot of outdoor seating. Austin has a lot of this as well, you know, um, where you'll have Mm -hmm. a bunch of outdoor seating and that's, oh, and there's that place in Chicago we went to that has that, we sat there. uh, What's that place called? Did we have tacos there or something outside? Probably, probably. Probably Big Star. Big Star, yeah. So Big Star could theoretically, with yeah. some distancing, operate fine in this new economy. Yeah, that's. It'll be interesting what folks think about that. I, I, I just, I think the it is most likely that, especially in terms of when there are threats like recessions, like pandemics, um, political instability, economic instability, existing trends, especially existing trends on the internet will be will accelerate they will not decelerate the the old business models that were already decelerating will just decelerate faster mm-hmm. i could be wrong though so do you want to talk about bug bounties quick what what what's the issue we're dealing with here and what's our what's your question it was yeah it was a question that came up probably a month ago but uh we just got another reply on it is that and this has happened you know a few times throughout the last couple of years where we get um, somebody emailing us or using our customer support saying, Hey, I found a security hole in your platform. Uh, sometimes it tells what it is, sometimes not. But then so once in a while they'll ask for if we have a bug bounty system and they're kind of asking for some money for discovering mm-hmm. this bug. Uh, 
And I think we've been struggling a little bit about how to respond to these. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some of them are, it's like hard to know if these, what, what angle these people have, right? Are they just like, they're being nice and they, it's just really hard to know why they target yeah, us. And it's, it's, it's hard to know like what, what's on the back end of this. Like, is this just a friendly developer out there that does this? Or is this, you know, 5,000 developers in India who are constantly doing this, and then there's if you if you make them mad, there's a denial of service attack on the other side of it. Right. Yeah. If yeah, if you deny them, make them mad, then they blacklist you. If you actually pay them, then you're on the list of like, hey, these people pay out. Let's go find all the bugs, and they can we can make a bunch of money this way. Yeah. So I I'm just, I, I don't know how other people deal with this. Like, if we're a bigger company, maybe we would have a bug bounty program. I yeah. don't know. But like, right now, we don't. Maybe that's the way we respond is we're we're just a small two person company and we we don't really, we don't have a bug bounty program right now. Like hey, look, if this guy wants to give us like step by step instructions about how to fix it, sure. Well maybe I'll throw some money yeah. their way. Like it's but that's not what it is. It's like, hey, we found this thing. Yeah. And give us some money or else. Yeah. Or and also some of them they just there's a pattern, like they all kind of notice the same things that are like, okay, yeah, we know that's a thing. Like that's a known thing. It's not like it, it's not like they're noticing a a crazy vulnerability that we had no idea existed. And even right. like this thing that he noticed, it's not like um, a major issue. It's just like that we know what that is, and sure, we've got to fix that. But it's yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I I it'd be interesting to hear what the leader the the listeners think. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're a small company and you have dealt with this like what do you how do you handle it what do you do do you actually pay people do you um just say thanks and move on mm -hmm. or <laughs> yeah 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 let us know folks on twitter uh or where however you find us you you folks are finding us there's some contact info in the show notes too John, let's uh, let's finish. Oh yeah, before we leave, look at this screenshot from my my household internet use. Uh, uh, <laughs> Notice something in March and April. Uh huh. So our, our limit for the house is a thousand twenty four gigabytes, which is a terabyte, right? So that's your limit on your internet service. You have limit. Yeah, like a like a, a, a bandwidth uh, limits. Okay. Um, they haven't yeah. charged us for this, but. March, I think we went over by two or three hundred gigabytes, and April, I think we were yeah. two hundred gigabytes over. Wow! Oh, a terabyte—that's like not much. Oh, we're, we're doing pretty good. You're saying? Yeah, no, I don't think a terabyte is a lot, especially if you're streaming all kinds of stuff. If you're, I mean, we got six people who are streaming stuff nonstop here, like YouTube yeah. constantly, right? Oh, and like my fourteen-year-old son is like Netflix probably downloading and... all sorts of illegal stuff constantly we're, we're probably like a we're probably a node for for file distribution there's a <laughs> who knows who knows what's going on there he he has a laptop that he just doesn't use anymore he's just plugged it into our router and it's just always running stuff <laughs> oh no Oh, you're going to have the authorities come to your doorstep yeah, except in Canada they can't in Canada they can't get our information oh they they email the, like we have we've e received a few emails where they the the ISP emails us and say we've been contacted by whoever yeah and uh, you know I I talked to my son I'm like okay you can't do this we're getting warnings here but you can't keep downloading Pixar movies what are you doing <laughs> well yeah, Pixar doing. would be 
quite tame compared to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think what he's doing is you can you can host like watch parties with your friends on Discord, but you have to have the the video file if you want to stream it all together. Uh, so I think he's been okay. downloading horror movies and they all watch the horror movie together on Discord. Oh. As, as they're fine. going on. <laughs> anyway, folks, we hope you're doing well. John, why don't you say thank you to our patrons? Uh, yeah, as always, uh, thanks to everyone uh, on Patreon. We have a new supporter, Anton Zorin. Anton Zorin. Thank Thanks, Anton. That's yeah, cool totally. Uh, Bill Condo, Sophia Quintero, Diogo, Chris Willow, Mason Hendley, Borja Soler, Ward Sandler, Eric Lima, James Sowers, Travis Fisher, Matt Buckley, Russell Brown, Evandro Sassi, Pradyumna Schimbecker, Noah Prail, Robert Simplicio, Colin Gray, Josh Smith, Ivan Kirkovic, Brian Ray, Shane Smith, Austin Loveless, Michael Sitver, Paul Jarvis and Jack Ellis, Dan Buddha, my brother, Darby Frey, Samori Augusto, Dave Young, Brad from Canada, Sammy Schuchert, Mike Walker, Adam Devander, Dave Junta, Junta, and Kyle Fox from GetRewardful.com. Thanks, everybody. Hey, one of the best ways you can support the show is to text it to a friend. That's how most people discover shows. It's just iMessage, SMS. Hey, I was listening to this on Overcast. You click the share button, text it to a friend if you enjoyed it, and we will see you next week. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.